you have the American dream. You run your own business. But running a business turns out to be more than you thought. It's a pain in the neck. You're not getting where you want to go. You're not getting what you want to get. And you're working 97 hours a week. We're here to help you fix that. This is the Small Business Celebration Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Roberts, and on this podcast, you can learn something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business. Before we begin our interview with this week's successful small business vision year, I want to take a moment and thank you, the listener, for listening to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, you're about to hear an example of why after several thousand downloads in just over a year, small business owners, CEOs, CFOs, partners, and general managers download the Small Business Celebration Podcast in record numbers on a weekly basis. We want to thank the tremendous content that our Visioneer guests continue to provide this podcast, our sponsors, and you, Visioneer Nation, who have subscribed to this podcast, internalized our guests' valuable insight, and because of it, are growing a strong and profitable business. And we thank you. Our guest today is Dr. Hugh Beatty, the wellness doc. Welcome to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. Thank you very much, Michael. Thanks for having me. And what is it that you do? Well, I practice wellness medicine, and some people are confused by that. In fact, they want to know what it means. So I just kind of break it down and tell them it means restorative medicine, trying to get your, achieve your natural health, You're trying to return your normal body function. Because as we age, a lot of things start to happen. We call it disease or dis-ease, but really it's dysfunctioning of our body. So I'm trying to return it to a normal function. As wellness doc, how is your practice different than traditional medicine? Well, it's different in the sense that I'm trying to find out the cause of the problem is. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. If a person presents with a headache, Mm -hmm. instead of treating the symptoms, masking it, saying with ibuprofen or some kind of anti-inflammatory agent, if it's due to migraine, I start talking to the patient about the cause of migraine. Mm. And generally, one of the main causes of migraines is that it's hormonal. And that's why you see more migraines uh, ratio four to one, more in women than men. Mm. And that's why a lot of the migraines start women in puberty. So when their first migraine headaches might be age 13, 14 years old. When that is the case, a lot of times just balancing out their hormones, especially with progesterone therapy and magnesium will resolve the issue. I'll have patients come to me who suffer from migraines, have been suffering from migraines for years, but we resolve them and they don't have that issue anymore. One of the other things that you do is you also take a look at a variety of other things. For example, men, the host included, Hmm. tends to have very high cholesterol rates. And as a result, we're given medication to reduce those rates. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned that in our prior conversation, that in doing so, it really dampens a lot of the areas in the human body and the ecosystem. How Mm -hmm. is that? And why is what you do so important to reverse that? When I see cholesterol, I think of inflammation Mm. because it's the body's natural response to inflammatory process. When the cholesterol rises, it's trying to act as an uh, antioxidant for the body. What it's doing, you know, not to get too technical, it's trying to reduce the body back to a reduced state. And what happens when someone is in a state of chronic inflammation, the cholesterol rises. Mm. You can take the medical approach and say, well, just give them a drug to suppress it, you know, such as a statin or Lipitor, Crestor, Torvastatin. But what that's doing is actually lowering the cholesterol, which is detrimental to you for two reasons. One, 
you're not dealing with the actual cause of the inflammation, which is usually a toxic exposure, but also you're lowering the cholesterol, which is very critical for the cell membrane health because you need cholesterol to make cells, membranes. In addition to that, you need cholesterol to make your hormones, especially in men, testosterone. How is trying to balance your entire ecosystem, as it were, mm-hmm. of your body mm-hmm. so fundamentally important for your long-term health so that you can function and, and grow and develop a strong mm-hmm. and profitable business? I do something called the five pillars of health with my patients. Mm-hmm. And the first pillar in the five pillars is hormone balance. And that's critical. If a person's hormones aren't balanced, then you're going to see a lot of dysfunction because hormones are critical in normal cellular function. And so in women... You start looking at their sex hormones, progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, and men, you look at testosterone. But in addition to that, thyroid is very critical. So a lot of times when someone has thyroid disease, we are, we'll focus on the thyroid, but we're not even focusing on the sex hormones that impact the thyroid as well. Mm. But the most critical hormone of all is cortisol. And cortisol is critical in the sense that if you have low levels of cortisol, you can actually be at risk of dying, you know, wow. sudden death. There's a disease called Addison disease, and those people need cortisol. And if they don't get adequate cortisol, they can have what we call a cardiovascular collapse. They can actually just, blood pressure drops, heart rate goes up, they can die. Why mm-hmm. is sleep so crucial, getting quality sleep so crucial to the success of our business? Well, quality sleep is crucial because you can't function or think clearly on lack of sleep. There's been a lot of studies that looked at, you know, sleep-deprived people can't think clearly. And that's a critical issue. The other thing is that it throws all your hormones off, especially the stress hormone cortisol. And what happens when you lack sleep, your cortisol level rises. Say short-term, over a three- to six-month period, you might have elevated cortisol levels. And then the body starts saying, hey, wait a minute, there's something wrong. And cortisol is very damaging to the brain, especially the hippocampus. Long-term cortisol exposure to the brain can actually cause a long-term memory problems. Hmm. What the body does, it resets by suppressing cortisol. And then once you suppress cortisol, now you get in this over-inflammatory state, pro-inflammatory state to call it. Now you start getting gut issues, you start getting autoimmune problems, your, your antibodies to yourself starts attacking your thyroid. So it's not good to have the cortisol out of bounds, but it can all start with just sleep deprivation. We've all heard that the recommended sleep, or the recommended amount mm-hmm. of sleep is eight hours. Is that true for everybody? No, it, it depends. It varies. Instead of how many hours, it's more critical what time you're actually sleeping. You actually mm-hmm. should sleep when the sun goes down. In the sense that it doesn't mean that as soon as the sun goes down, you should go to bed. But there's a critical time that I find that is important so far as growth hormones released between 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. Most people can function off of five hours of sleep. Some need eight hours of sleep. It just depends. Are you getting adequate sleep so you can function normally the next day? If you're waking up with a headache, if you're waking up feeling washed out, if you find that you have to grab coffee or energy drinks, something's wrong there. But that critical time is between 1 and 4. And I will tell patients, in fact, I had a guy today, he says, Dr. Beatty, uh, you know, I wake up at 3 in the morning. I ask him what time you go to bed. He said, 9 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. So he's getting adequate sleep, but he's waking up at that critical time, that 1 and 4. I told him, why don't you try to go to bed at 10, at least get through the 1 and 4 period. And he said, okay, he'll try that. But that critical time between 1 and 4, because that's when growth hormones release. I've also been told, and feel free to correct me if, if this is wrong, yes. our natural system of sleep is from when the sun goes down mm-hmm. to when the sun goes up. One of those very important periods of the day is when the sun comes up. Yes. Why is that so significant to our long-term health, be mm-hmm. getting out in that early morning sun? 
What's in contrast to cortisol is melatonin. Mm. In fact, when I do what we call saliva testing, and I'm looking for 24-hour cortisol levels on patients and also the melatonin levels, melatonin should be lower in the morning because once the sun hits your eyes and hit the back of the retina, melatonin drops mm. and cortisol spikes. So we'll get a 7 to 9 a.m. cortisol level, but we also will measure the melatonin level. And it should be reversed at midnight or in the middle of the night. Like, say, for 2 or 3 in the morning, you should see low levels of cortisol and then high levels of melatonin. A lot of patients don't have that. They have the total opposite. In the morning, they feel in groggy because the cortisol levels are low. Hmm. And then at night, when it's time for them to sleep, the cortisol levels are up. And then I take a look at the cortisol melatonin curve, and I can see what the problem is. It's winter right now, and we've had uh, here in Bakersfield, we've had several weeks of overcast weather, mm-hmm. and which is kind of unusual, but this is very common in a lot of other parts of the country. What can we do as individuals when we don't have that natural sunlight that's coming up at mm-hmm. sunrise? What can we do ourselves to make sure we're getting that healthy start in the morning and getting those melatonin levels that you're talking about? Yeah, artificial light would help, like people who live in Seattle or people who live up in Alaska. Certain times of year, they're not getting enough mm-hmm. natural light. And so, yeah, uh, red light therapy would help. And, um, and how do you get red light therapy? Do you go down to Home Depot and get a, a light bulb that's red and, and plug it in? Yeah, that'll work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, blue light has the opposite effect in red light therapy. But just either natural light or some kind of artificial light, red light therapy, actually will go ahead and improve the natural hormones in the brain. One of the things that you've got to keep in mind is that melatonin is derived from serotonin. Mm. And serotonin is what we call the mood hormone or the, the hormone that makes you feel upbeat or give you emotional high, makes you feel good about yourself. Mm. And that comes from tryptophan. So there's a relationship. You have to take serotonin methylate to become melatonin. The problem is that so many people are suffering with chronic depression or low levels of serotonin they can't make enough melatonin. And when they can't make enough melatonin, now they lose the ability to go to sleep naturally. And then that begins to cause stress because they're up all night. Now their cortisol levels are high. So it throws everything else. A lot of it does have to do with light. A lot of it does have to do with the fact that how much amino acid they have, such as tryptophan, that can actually produce serotonin, which can lead to melatonin. Everything feeds on itself. That's why it's called hormonal balance or hormonal sympathy. If Visioneer Nation wanted to learn more about hormonal therapy, and hormonal balance. How did they get in touch with you? Well, they can reach me at my office at 6001 Truxton Avenue, Building B, Suite 240, Bakersfield, California, 93309. Or they can reach me, uh, the office number is 661-395-0315. How do the top 10% of business owners generate so much success and wealth? I'm Tim McNeely from the Lifestone Companies, and I want to share with you four guidelines that will enable you to take better care of the people you love, support the causes you care about, and enable you to change the world. If you go to lifestoneco.com slash four things, that's lifestoneco.com slash four things, you'll be able to download this guide that shares with you the four success habits that will enable you to take better care of the people you love, support the causes you care about, and you to change the world. We're here with Dr. Beatty, Dr. Beatty, the wellness doc, and we were talking about sleep and the lack thereof. You have first-hand experience of going through the lack of sleep. There are stories that are numerous of going through residency and all that. What happened in your professional career that made you realize that sleep was extremely important for your well-being? 
You're correct. The first times I really started struggling with sleep deprivation was in medical school. Uh, there were times when we had to be up all night really to try to prepare for exams. The exams sometimes we would have two or three in one week. Mm. And it was a lot of material to study you're in class eight hours. Then you're trying to study at least six to eight hours after class. It, it can get to the point where it was overwhelming. I began to be able to adjust to that. But the real problem came for sleep deprivation was my internship year. Hmm. Uh, there was times when we would be on call for a 24-hour call, but we would we would actually be up for over 38 hours. Wow. So I would begin call at 7 o'clock in the morning, have our morning rounds, attending rounds, and things like that. Then we would have our patient responsibilities. And then we would start taking call at 4 o'clock in the evening. And it was not unusual to get 10 or 11 admissions. And this was back in D.C. at Howard University where I was at. And 11 admissions of very sick patients. Wow. Uh, some of them, they were so critical they should have been in ICU, but a lot of times you didn't have ICU beds. Then the next day, you're now, you're off call at 7 in the morning, but you have all this work, all this stuff you have to do. Uh, you have patients that, that you have to finish that admitting on, other patients you have to get ready for discharge, other patients you have to go make sure they got their consultations met. There were times where you're so fatigued. I remember one time driving home and I stopped at a red light and I just fell asleep. <laughs> okay. so I'm glad I never had an accident. As you were starting your practice, did this recognition, did you get to a point as you were starting your practice that you realized that you were starting to run into the same traps as you were in med school as far as sleep deprivation goes? It came to me, I realized one day I was uh, doing some anesthesia at a hospital in Los Angeles, and I realized, I said, do I want to continue to live like this? Do mm -hmm. I want to continue to look at my weekly schedule and say, when am I on call? The hospital I was working at, they had a schedule where you would be on second call just prior to first call. And second call meaning that you were backing up first call. Right. So about every sixth weekend, I would be up pretty much the whole weekend because I would take second call Friday night, first call Sunday, second call first call, wait a minute, second call Friday night, first call Saturday, and then second call Sunday. And then you just wiped out. You might be at the hospital at least 80% of the time. It wow. was just kind of overwhelming. This forced a change in your practice and ultimately in your business. You went to a seminar and you got a, a very different perspective on medicine. What happened? Well, what happened, by the time I decided to change career focus, I went from working as an anesthesiologist, I started focusing on primary care. So in 2000, I started establishing my own practice. Did primary care up until about 2013, and then I went to the first course on wellness medicine. The name of the course is American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. And this was the very first time you had ever heard about wellness. Yes. I heard the term wellness, but I didn't know what it meant. Oh, okay. Just like my typical patients don't know what wellness means. Okay. Right, right. I feel fine. I must be well. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, I have to clarify what that means. So when I went to that first course, it blew me away. In fact, the first day, I was just overwhelmed, and I realized that I had to not only change things, how I did things with my patients, but also for my own health. Mm. In the process of this discovery, what did you do in order to learn something radically different like this? Well, I just delved into it and just became totally immersed in it. And because it was so overwhelming, it was so different. Mm -hmm. And I saw the not only the practicality of it, but the importance of it. I knew first and foremost, like I tell patients all the time, I'm going to go to a course on peptide therapy. And uh, I've been wanting to go to it for a year or so. And I always tell patients, I say, look, I'm going to a new course on wellness. And the first patient I always think about is me. I'm going there to find <laughs> out what I can learn to keep myself healthy. 
Right. And if it's not something that I would do, why would I recommend it to patients? And that's what that initial conference was all about for me back in 2013. Mm-hmm. I was blown away. And it was so many fascinating things. I began to realize that we need to start dealing with the cause. What is causing the dysfunction? Mm. Why are people getting sick? Why are people remaining sick? Why are people not getting healthy? And when I began to see that, now understand, I came back from the conference with a whole lot of not only ideas, but also problems. How am I going to start implementing this into my practice? And not develop the reputation of being a whack. Uh, yeah, or a quack. <laughs> a quack and losing, <laughs> and losing your license. And exactly. also losing my practice. Because the problem is this is not covered by insurance. Mm. I began to implement it on my most dedicated patients who trusted me. Mm. They started saying, yeah, Dr. Beatty, you know what? I've been looking at stuff on uh, about wellness and hormone therapy and all these other things you're mentioning to me. And I was kind of curious. And some of them even said, I'm glad you're doing it now mm. because I've been curious and interested in it. And then after about a year, after I got enough success under my belt, it didn't matter to me anymore. And then I knew that as long as I respected the balance between uh, what the medical board is looking for and what I need to do for the patient's well-being, I was fine. And Mm. what I mean by that is this. When a patient comes to me and they're taking medications and they have medical problems, I don't stop their medicines. I respect their diagnosis, and I begin to tell the patient, you have that diagnosis because this is the cause. This is the what's going on. So let's go ahead and start implementing some things to treat the cause. You can stay on those medications, and as you get better, guess what we're going to do? We're going to taper you off the medication or stop the medication. That's what is called an integrative approach. The medical board has no problem with that. Where doctors get into trouble is when they actually – Take on a patient, patient says, Doc, I hear you take people off the medication. I want to stop all my medications, and they want to start from there. But their blood pressure is a problem. They have diabetes. Their blood sugars are out of control. And they have these other issues that haven't been addressed yet. You have to give the body time to heal. And it's not going to heal until you put it in an environment for healing. And so that's where I begin. You brought up in passing something very important, and that is – You made this transition when you had an existing practice. Yes. You already had a patient base in order to start that. Taking a step back from that, how did you earn your first patient? (laughs) I moved here in um, 98, Mm -hmm. and I was working in urgent care then. So I was working at Mercy Southwest Hospital. Patients would come in, and they liked how I was taking care of them, and they would ask me from time to time. A lot of these patients in urgent care, either they were not happy with the physician or they didn't have a physician, so they would ask me, do I have a practice? Mm -hmm. And I would tell them, no, I I don't. And I worked in urgent care for about seven months, and then I moved on and started leasing from another physician in town in 2000. And so I slowly began to build my patient base one patient at a time. I continued to work in urgent care up until about 2005. And that was able to feed my practice, too. Because then when patients asked me that I have an office to, to see patients, and I would say, yes, here's my car. It sounds like, yes, you were able to, through the quality of your work and the quality of your efforts there in the emergency care or urgent care, I should say, making that happen. But it sounds like the long-term sustainable success of your practice has come from your ability for referrals. Yes, definitely. Patient referrals, not other doctor referrals. And that's key. And that's that's key. How do you encourage your best patients to be your biggest advocates to help bring more business, more patients to your practice? Well, you get great results from them. 
If, well, but how do you do yeah. how do you you've got a you've got a patient mm-hmm. that loves you you can mm-hmm. do no wrong mm-hmm. how do you encourage them to get other people to be referred to you well a lot of times it's obvious that the patient is doing better and so their family members and friends starts asking them what are you doing mm-hmm. and then they'll say well i see dr Beatty, and this is what he's done for me you need to go see him some patients feel so great they can't help but try to get their family members or friends to come see me because they have friends and family members who've been suffering with Sometimes the similar issues are the same issues for years and they haven't had adequate help. And there's patients who I will actually ask them to tell others about what I've done for you. So they'll go on and give me a Facebook shout out. They'll go on Instagram or something like that. Or they'll write some kind of review on Yelp or Google. And that helps too. But most often is that they're feeling great and they're looking great. And the others are asking, what are you doing? Especially if friends haven't seen them for a period of time and they look so much better. You're also very involved in a networking group here in town, and you're also involved with several charities in town through, with golf and the like. How, do, how does your involvement with those organizations help your practice? The one that you're talking about is BNI, Business Network International, and I've been a member with them for about since 2014. And there we are actually are small businesses, and we come from different disciplines and businesses. Every business is the only representation there. And we refer to one another. We're like salespeople for one another. So there's a dentist in there. He'll refer patients to me for health care. And then if I see patients who have dental issues, I'll refer to him for dental care. But we have other businesses there, too. We have pest control. We have people who represent law firms and real estate and insurance companies. But what happens is everyone going throughout their walks of life, if they encounter someone who they feel needs the the services of one of the members, we refer to one another. And we encourage each other to make sure the referral is good, as well as we are encouraged also to take good care of the referral so that the person referred to is not looking like they made a mistake in referring you. (laughs) Sure, sure. Absolutely, absolutely. How is your involvement in the community so important to your practice? Well, golfing, I enjoy golfing. I started golfing when I came here to Bakersfield in 98, mm-hmm. and I wasn't very good. Some people might say I'm still not very good. But <laughs> Do you play golf? Do you play golf until all the balls are gone? Uh, no, I, 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 can keep, I can keep my ball. I usually don't lose my ball. I hit it pretty straight. I just don't hit it very far. And, um, but no, golf helps out because what happens is I'm playing golf, I have an opportunity to meet other people. Oh. And people get injured on golf course. Their back starts hurting. Their elbow's hurting. And then they'll say, aren't you a doctor? Can I ask you a question? And so I get a lot of patience from that too. In fact, there was somebody from a golf a country club I used to be a member of. He called me the other day with an issue. So it does have long-term impact. Hello, Visioneers. Just want to take a moment and congratulate Visioneers Eric, Anne, Carson, David, Heidi, Jeremy, and Taylor as they were among our top 10 participants in our Like, Comment, and Share campaign last month. Because of their efforts, they got to participate in an exclusive event held for interviewed podcast guests of the Small Business Celebration podcast. How would you like to be invited to one of our exclusive events just like them? Well, starting today, February 2nd, 2020, we are launching our Super Visioneer 2020 program. Qualifying Visioneers not only get invited to exclusive events similar to the one held last month, but also get to have two exclusive Super Visioneer 2020 events each year that will help determine the shape and the form of future Small Business Celebration podcasts. Also, how would you like to hear your voice? on the Small Business Celebration podcast. Go to the smallbusinesscelebration.com and click on the Supervisioneer 2020 tab to learn how you can become a Supervisioneer. Go to smallbusinesscelebration.com forward slash Supervisioneer 2020 today. 
We're here with Dr. Hugh Beatty, the wellness doc, and we're talking about how you're getting business into your practice, you're developing it, you're growing it. But I'd like to take a step back because we had already briefly talked about a major shift that happened in your practice Mm -hmm. as far as discovering what wellness is. And for our listeners who maybe don't understand the difference between the typical medical board doctor and a wellness doctor, there's a line there. And would you mind explaining briefly what the difference between the two types of doctors are? There's a huge chiasm there. Okay. 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 All right. <laughs> the, the issue is, is that, uh, you know, I'm a medical doctor cause I have an MD degree. And so this, the medical boards does do not license wellness doctors. Mm. They license medical doctors. Right. So, so the thing is though, is that where the similarity is, is how we deal with the diagnosis. Mm. Say for instance, if you came to see me and I diagnosed you with hypertension, mm-hmm. now that's a minimum standard diagnosis. You have high blood pressure. Right. The medical community will then give you medication to try to control the blood pressure. Right. I take the next step and say, okay, you have high blood pressure. Why do you have high blood pressure? Mm. And then I look and say, well, the most common cause of high blood pressure is inflammation. I remember being in medical school. They used to tell us that there was no actual cause of a high blood pressure other than a central hypertension. That's what we still call it today, which means 85% of the cause of high blood pressure, we don't know what causes it. And 15% is kidney-related. And if the person has normal kidneys or they don't have some kind of restriction to blood flow to the kidneys, we call that renal artery stenosis, then it's essential hypertension. We don't know what's causing that. So then what I do, I begin to address the patient's inflammation. In the process of your practice, because you were partnered up with another physician, and you got to the point where you and the physician disagreed and you went your separate ways. And this is not uncommon in business. Partners mm-hmm. you know, split up all the time. But this reinforced a philosophy of independence Mm -hmm. in you. Yes. Tell us about why being independent is so important to you and your practice. Well, independence is very critical because I'm constantly learning new things. Mm -hmm. I was talking to my sister about this the other day. You you cannot control other people. It's hard to control myself. So if I'm in partner with someone else and I begin to start saying, hey, I want to go in this direction and that person doesn't sit the same way I do, then mm-hmm. it's going to be a problem. The last person I was actually leasing space from, we differ, did have a difference in philosophy so far as how we approach the patient. And I actually outgrew that spot, and that's why I moved on. But shortly afterwards, I got exposed to wellness. And when I started doing wellness, it's a totally different philosophy than, than what I was practicing when I was with him. And it would not have been very conducive there because mm. I'm still seeing patients. I'm seeing 12 to 15 patients a day. I'm trying to treat the online calls, and that would be my focus. And if you are in a partnership with someone and they have a different philosophy, it's going to be difficult. When a patient for the first time walks into your practice, there are two huge signs that I absolutely love. Hmm. There are quotes that my great-grandmother used to say, which Hmm. is, getting old is not for sissies. Right, right. (laughs) How is self-confidence the key to aging and getting older Hmm. and understanding that, yes, you're getting older, but it's not for sissies? The whole thing, it takes work. As we get older, we have to work at it. In fact, I just celebrated my 61st birthday on the 18th of January. Congratulations. And thank you. And I went skiing. I hadn't skied for 23 years. Wow. And I wanted to ski uh, all these years, but for other reasons, I just didn't do it. I was determined to. I went to Big Bear. I took a two-hour lesson, and then I was determined to ski down halfway down the mountain. There's a, the eighth lift there. 
takes you up halfway up the mountain. I skied down. And what I actually did, I posted on Facebook. I said, I skied down the mountain today. And I said, it's a testament to good physical conditioning. Think about people who could not have done that. Either their back is a problem or their knees are hurting or their ankles or the condition is poor. I focus on those five pillars of health for myself. The physical resistance training, eating right, getting proper sleep, hydrating. So if I am called on to do something physical, I want to be able to do it. One of my friends on Facebook said to me, said, I bet you'll be sore tomorrow. And I told her the next day, I said, no, I'm still not sore. (laughs) (laughs) So... One of the things you also mentioned for long-term health and well-being is eating unrefined salt. Oh, yes. Why is that so important? Because we find salt in everything. Why unrefined salt? We are the salt of the earth. The Bible talks about that. (laughs) (laughs) But unrefined salt has 80 different minerals in it that you won't get with refined salt. Mm. And if you actually look at unrefined salt, it's not bleached white. And first okay. of all, what is unrefined salt? Unrefined salt you just is just salt that is found in nature. Um, okay. There's certain places that are natural salt areas. In Utah, there's a place, I think it's Redmond, Utah, where you get unrefined salt from. You also get it on the um, northwest of France, and they call that Celtic sea salt, uh, Himalayan salt. People are familiar with that. Mm-hmm. What it is has 80 different minerals in it. When you refine the salt, you take all these essential minerals out and you Mm. leave only sodium chloride and that sodium chloride you leave actually can dehydrate the cells um, because you have fluid that's in the cell and you have fluid outside the cell. Mm. When you're eating refined salt, the salt begins to concentrate outside the cell and that's just going to pull water out of the cell and dehydrate cell. When you dehydrate the cell, you cause cellular acidosis and inflammation, which lead to chronic disease. So when you do unrefined salt, It has natural potassium in it. It has magnesium in it. It has a natural balance so the cells don't become dehydrated. And why do they add iodine to salt? Uh, Iodine is critical, so we don't get enough iodine in our diet. You only can get iodine from the ocean, ocean Mm. food, seaweed, Mm. different types of seafood, of course, fish and things like that. The closer you live to the ocean, you're going to have iodine in the soil. There's a Gorder Belt in the United States in the Midwest, especially around the Great Lakes. And back in the 30s, they had a serious problem with goiters. And so what they did, they began to add iodine into the salt, and then the incidence of goiters went way down. Mm. But the problem is starting to resurface because people are avoiding salt. They're, they're being told not to salt their food. And then some people are salting food. They use an unrefined salt, which is good, but they're not getting the iodine. Mm. So either you need to find unrefined salt with iodine added, or you need to actually start adding iodine to your diet. Then the iodine and unrefined salts is still not enough. I actually take iodine two drops every day, Lugo Solution. That gives me about anywhere from 12 to 15 milligrams of iodine a day. Any iodine my body doesn't need, I just urinate it out. Part of your practice is based on your faith. Yes. It's a very important part of your practice. Why is that? (laughs) Because, you know, the thing is, without faith, that's when I'm able to do things. I walk by faith. So because of that, I'm able to work independently, and I'm able to take on the challenges that come my way. I've been a man of faith for a long time. The challenges that have come through the years, the transitionings and the things that have come to challenge me, I always just trust God and rely on him. And also it allows me to do what I need to do on my patients. There was a situation probably about 12, 13 years ago where I was going to make a decision whether to move on in my practice or not. 
And I was being encouraged by one of the people that I was working with, and he was trying to get me to do this. He said, you just do it in faith. And I said, well, but you can do foolish things in faith. Without God, I can't even begin to know what wisdom is. You know, wisdom comes from him. So the first thing, I want to know what to do, but then I want to do it in faith too. So it's critical. You've been working your business, your practice for a long time now. What is something that has happened many years ago that influences the decisions that you make today? Well, medicine, it just took up a lot of my time. I'm just going to say, because I was initially going to be a chemist and, um, and I decided to go to medical school. And when I went to medical school, it's a huge commitment. And with that commitment, I began to see in the mid nineties that, Hey, wait a minute, this is how I want to live where every waking moment was medicine. So I had to make some changes. And so I would say that looking at my life and saying to myself, do I want to continue to practice medicine where I was practicing, which was anesthesiology and taking, taking a step back, reevaluating who I was, like they say, an unexamined life is not worth living. And as I began to examine my life, I realized that, am I really doing what I want to do? Mm. When I began to practice primary care, I realized that all the things that God has blessed me with, my personality and my desire to learn new things and to be inquisitive, all came together. It even became more so together when I started doing wellness. So I actually love what I do now. I'm not a big fan of medical care because I really feel like I'm not helping people, but I love the wellness. If I could survive without getting paid for what I do, I would actually do it for free. But, you know, that's not realistic. So, <laughs> But that is indicative or a major sign of passion Mm -hmm. and that you really do enjoy what you do. Oh yes, definitely. What is one thing that you would advise Visioner Nation today so that they could grow a strong and profitable business? Well, find out what you enjoy doing and do it. Even if that means you can do it and not get paid for it because you love it that much. And I used to hear that a lot because I've been looking at businesses and working independently for years. And I would hear people say, you know what, if you find something you love doing, you'll never work a day in your life. And there's aspects about my practice that is work, but seeing a patient and helping them to get healthy, that's not work to me. What is work to me is doing the business side of it, paying the bills and managing the <laughs> practice. <laughs> that that I can do without. But, but if I don't, uh, as I tell a friend of mine once, I said, if I don't do the business side correctly, I will not be able to practice wellness. So I know that business is very critical, but I enjoy the wellness part. Dr. Beatty, this has been a pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and you've given us a tremendous wealth of information that will help us move forward. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. How do the top 10% of business owners generate so much success and wealth? I'm Tim McNeely from the Lifestone Companies, and I want to share with you four guidelines that will enable you to take better care of the people you love, support the causes you care about, and enable you to change the world. If you go to lifestoneco.com slash four things, that's lifestoneco.com slash four things, you'll be able to download this guide that shares with you the four success habits that will enable you to take better care of the people you love, support the causes you care about, and you to change the world. Who is a visioneer? A visioneer is a small business leader who is a pioneer that has vision. A visioneer is someone willing to see the world not as it is, but as it could be, and is willing to do something about it. 
A Visioneer is ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than the mainstream competition. A Visioneer gives value first because Visioneers are in business for the long haul. Visioneers understand the difference between saving money and earning a profit. Visioneers define their destiny. Visioneers create their own luck. Visioneers surround themselves with successful, like-minded people. Visioneers are renegades who defy the mainstream competition and are ready to change the world. Are you a Visioneer? Join the Visioneer tribe at Small Business Celebration on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram today. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you might find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. That's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. If you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to the Small Business Celebration Podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. Also, if there's a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on LinkedIn and Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.